Welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. I'm Ben Simon. I'm Jesse Spur. I'm Jess Stokes Parish, and you're listening to Simulcast. Connecting the healthcare simulation community. Welcome to Simulcast. I'm Jesse Spur, and we are here for one of our special advances in simulation collaboration episodes. In today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the article, Recommendations for Embedding Simulation in Health Services, and that was authored by Ellen Davies, or Ellie, Adam Montague, and Victoria Brazel. That was published in October 2023. And like this article is an interesting one because it's a combo article of an integrated literature review, action research, and kind of reviews and recommendations from the composite of ex- experience of the authors and the finding of a project that they did. So I particularly enjoy this where a piece of work gets multiple outputs. So that's fantastic. What this article sort of zones in on is essentially starting really broad and then narrowing into five domain recommendations for if you were to start a new simulation-based consultancy service. And if you don't know what that means right now, after our chat with Ellie and Victoria, you certainly will. I won't go much more into it because the article will enlighten us itself as we go through the, the chat over the next half an hour or so. So, Without further ado, I'd love to introduce Associate Professor Ellie Davies. Um, you'll see on the authorship she's Ellen. I'm just making that distinction so you know how to find her academically and then uh, how to address her personally when you get to meet. And also welcome Victoria Brazel, who's sort of on the other side of the mic this time. Okay, so Ellie, would you like to give us a little bit of a brief bio in this context? Because I know you've got a different, a lot of different hats that you've worn over the years. Absolutely. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, so I am called Ellie uh, and I'm the research program lead for Adelaide Health Simulation. And I started working in this role two years ago and I have been collaborating with people within our university at the University of Adelaide, as well as uh, with people from different institutes and in this instance with one of the local health networks. Because we're talking about context-relevant insights into health services, your prior clinical work is relevant in this. So what's, what's that part of your bio? So I'm a registered nurse. I have previously worked in uh, emergency department at the old Royal Adelaide Hospital. Uh, and I started transitioning into working in an academic role about 10 years ago uh, after and really becoming engaged in research and how research can uh, contribute to uh, good patient outcomes. Awesome. Well, it's awesome to have you here. And Victoria, better known as the host extraordinary of Simulcast, what's your context-relevant bio, Vic? Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Uh, you're right. I love doing Simulcast Journal Club with Ben and other things. But uh, today, I guess, relevant to this article, I have a role as the medical director of the simulation service at Gold Coast Health. Uh, and also in my role at Bond University, get to work with other organisations like Ellie uh, and Adam's um, Adelaide Health Simulation. Uh, and it was through that that uh, I got to do this project with Ellie. But um, relevant to the article, I suppose, we, uh, I am part of a team that runs a simulation service uh, that is part of a pretty large health service. Gold Coast Health has about eight or 9,000 um, staff. So thinking about how to support those staff with simulation services is definitely core. Thinking about how to set it up, thinking about how to run it, thinking about the ways and means that are going to optimise the ability for us really to integrate with the health service. Oh, lovely. Well, I think that gives us a nice sort of tee-off into 
where we're going to go with this. So we'll we'll leave the five recommendations hanging as a carrot to keep listening to the end of the episode and do a bit of a dive into the why and the what of it before we get into those those recommendations. So I wanted to kind of start with the idea of this concept of sim being embedded and this term simulation consultancy. I think they're two concepts that are a bit of a wrestle and it would be great to define those. So embedded in health service. There was two comments that kind of perked my interest in the intro to this. And one is this comment of um, that we've seen a lot of simulation silos pop up over the time, really focused around discrete educational activities. And that's maybe left, quoting you guys, a failure to realize the potential to support quality and safety outcomes in health service as well. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm happy to sort of lead off a little bit on that because that is the kind of work we've been trying to do at the Gold Coast. Uh, We applaud, embrace simulation-based education. This is clearly a contribution to health care in a number of ways. It sits beautifully in educational institutions like at the medical program at Bond where I work. Uh, The mission of simulation is training, uh, in my case, the medical students, but all the health professionals. I guess what we're saying is there is an additional contribution that simulation can make in a health service, which says, actually, let's start lining up our quality and safety goals. And maybe simulation isn't just about training the providers, but it's also about testing the systems. It's also about exploring culture. It's also about training teams. And it's also about helping teams uh, try and understand better ways that they do their work, so systems and teams. And certainly in my experience, and it's, you know, really been a bit of a journey of some wins and some losses at Gold Coast Health, uh, it's become apparent to me that there's some different things we have to do to enable that potential to be realised. And they include some of the things in this program. But one of them, to your question, is really thinking about simulation as a service to those clinical and other departments uh, as people who can come in and say, look, this is our modality. This is what it can do in terms of exploring and testing. Um, How can it help you? Rather than uh, things which certainly I've been involved in and I know many others, which is, you know, desperately departments having educational simulation and then coming into all sorts of grief about do we share equipment and fighting for limited resources. So, you know, uh, I don't want to set up a false dichotomy. Education's good too. This seems to sit alongside, I guess, the shift in safety and uh, safety science methodologies that uh, health services are moving towards. So this move from safety one to safety two, which I can kind of, in my crude, um, I guess, pithy comment way, boils down to me for seeing the people as the agents for improvement rather than the object of improvement, which is that kind of a wrestle, I guess, between um, using SIM in a health service for a lot of reasons other than just to educate the humans on the assumption that more trained humans equals patient outcomes. With that in mind, Ellie, context is everything with this and that was certainly especially relevant to um, the article that you guys have produced as well. Absolutely. So I think, um, I mean, context is the circumstances, settings, the people, the culture uh, and the environment where you are, you know, having a look at whether or not this would work. Uh, And there's going to be contexts where there is support for this kind of uh, simulation service and there's going to be contexts where it's not appreciated as much. And I guess we're talking in this paper to the, at this point, early adopters of embedded simulation services 
uh, who are wanting to start engaging in a process of building a service. So when we were considering this project, we did a very deep dive into the context of the local health service that we were working with. We interviewed staff from across departments and professions. We surveyed staff, including education staff, clinical staff, executive staff, uh, to get an understanding of what their experiences with simulation are, their perceptions of it, their attitudes towards simulation, and notice quite the variety of experiences, perceptions, and attitudes across the organisation. And I think we can say that quite more broadly across our, our health organisations in Australia. There are people who are absolute sim enthusiasts. We have a lot of junior um, clinical staff who are coming out of universities where they've been offered simulation as part of their training. And they're on board with it. They like the modality and they want to see that continue as they grow as health professionals. And I think we have um, health executives who are very excited about the idea of simulation. They, they might not necessarily have an idea of how that is operationalized, what that looks like, who would be involved in that, uh, but are keen to start having the discussion and the conversation around how simulation might fit into their organization quite broadly. And I think the other thing that we made quite a deliberate decision about early on in this project was that there needs to be a focus on the people who are going to be involved in this um, in this service. And that's, you know, written throughout the paper. There's often from organisations a push to consult on the facilities and equipment that they're going to need for a service and often not as much thought or at least forethought about who's going to be involved with delivering that simulation. So in terms of um, both examining the context, but also setting up the context for success, thinking about the people that will be involved and the expertise needed was a big, it was a big emphasis for us. I noted that and I, I'm sure it was a deliberate distinction made and probably not a term that I was super familiar with hearing explicitly was the idea of a simulation consultancy service. Um, would either of you guys want to just kind of give us a brief understanding on where that term came from and I guess why this was framed around very deliberately around that term? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to start with that. I think when we moved to our new hospital in 2013 and we were setting up the SIM service, we used that term intentionally because we did want to live the aspiration that we had, which is here we are uh, actually serving the departments that we want to support rather than being a place where they had to come to to do courses and workshops. That said, we still have a place. We still do some of those courses and workshops, but we had this idea that we were providing advice as much as we were providing mannequins and people and expertise about whether SIM would really help whatever were the aspirations of those departments. Um, since then, a lot of people have picked that up and uh, Rory Trauber and his team over at Fiona Stanley use that term and have published about their experience as a simulation consultancy service, uh, but also um, others around the country. Uh, I've recognised often that terminology and as long as their operational um, strategy fits with that terminology, I certainly think that's a good way to think about it. Excellent. That's a great foundation to go on from here with. Um, so, in the article, it mentions that, that there was a project, Ellie, you and the team, Adam, you and the team were um, approached about by a local health area network in South Australia. That 
I guess that from my take, that serves as both the inspiration and sort of, I guess, the object to form your team around that did this work. And are you able to kind of get, uh, give us a bit of a background as to what sparked your interest in this? Absolutely. So, Adelaide Health Simulation uh, is a service within the University of Adelaide and we work with mostly undergraduate medical and nursing students, but also um, some of the other health disciplines as well. And we run um, courses for postgraduate health professionals and have a reputation for providing good quality simulation in the state. And so uh, Adam, our director, was approached by a local health network to consult on a project looking specifically at what simulation activities were being undertaken within their service and how they could progress to a simulation consultancy service or another kind of model where there was um, a a simulation influence within their organisation. As as we do um, uh, not work terribly much in that hospital space, uh, we invited Bic to come and consult on this project with us, given her expertise and um, knowledge about uh, how to set one of these services up. I love that. It's like a meta time loop of consultancy on consultancy and how to become consultants. It's it's beautiful. All right, we are going to move to far more practical application stuff, but it was really good to get the foundations for the conversation that we're going to have. So I think, Vic, did you have anything to add what kind of sparked your interest in this? Because I've known you for a while and you mainly just do stuff that you're actually interested in these days, don't you? Uh, I guess one of the things, yes, it is great to work with Adelaide Health Simulation, but I think for my mind, this was a real gap that we don't have. Most people, when we talk to them, get on board with this idea about aligning simulation services with quality and safety goals of health services. People get their idea. They can even look at individual activities like examining a patient journey and trying to go faster or more safely. They can look at how do we use simulation to test new facilities, checklists. People get that idea. But I keep on getting asked questions and I don't have all the answers and indeed I only have a few of the answers, which is, yeah, but how do we set this up? It's not just how do we run a sim, but how do we set this up so that we've got a sustainable, scalable service that actually is integrated with the health service and aligning with the needs. And so thinking about the issues that are going to come up in this, you know, what is the governance? What is the resources? Who are the people and what kind of roles? um, What sort of faculty development do you do? So people continue to ask me questions and I continue to ask myself those questions. Uh, Why? That's good. But how is really important. And it's more than uh, the skill set that we have um, achieved through educationally based simulation. Those foundational skills, super important, design, delivery, debriefing. And then there's now a, a whole range of new things. That's great. And I I mean, I can very much see your position in this work, um, particularly when we get to the broad conceptual question of what do good embedded simulation services do? And I guess you've both had an experience of from what I would say is both objectively and subjectively working in a pretty good service um, and that you might be too modest to actually acknowledge, but also um, being very well connected in internationally in what is after all said and done quite a small community of practice around health service simulation and seeing the good in a lot of other services. So you touched on a few points in the paper as to what these are. Do you mind just kind of giving us a run through of those? 
Yeah, sure. And I think the the ones we've listed down, you know, there's a global statement about being embedded in the health service. Uh, one, the second one we said relates to sort of governance, and that is ideally sitting within the quality and safety operational reporting lines of the hospital. Um, I think you can sit in education, but being somehow very integrated in those interconnected both reporting lines, but also very real ways of um, integrating. Uh, obviously having a diverse array of people and maybe having some people who've got some quality improvement uh, skills, resources, contact, frameworks and ways of thinking about things rather than many of us who came from education and maybe have gaps in that area. Uh, but also um, the other places that I see around the world are thinking about doing faculty development to enhance the skill sets themselves. So um, I think to, you know, you you were very generous there, but I think we've done some of those things well. There's plenty of others where we still have massive gaps that we haven't. Uh, and I think actually the community of practice around the world is a bit bigger than we realise because I think a lot of simulation providers are now doing a lot of this work but haven't quite conceptualised it as being additional and complementary but also a little bit different to their educationally focused simulation. I think that's one of the struggles that people have is not identifying that there may need to be some different um strategies for how to achieve those aims. Hopefully, clearly, as we move forward into the recommendations, we can see that really explicit link between the philosophy and kind of examination of what good embedded services do, and then how you guys arrived at the domains for the recommendations. Before we go in and look at them one at a time, Ellie, are you happy to just give us the domain sort of synopsis of the five recommendations? Absolutely. So the five domains were governance and leadership, human resources, principles and planning, operationalize and evaluate, and look to the future. And I think it's important to note that these are this is not a stepwise approach to how to set up a, a service. They are categorized in this way so that they can be thought of in, in these groups and so that it makes it a little bit easier to consider each of the recommendations. Uh, but they are all interrelated and rely on each other uh, in, a, in a process of setting up a simulation consultancy service. Excellent. And you, you were very explicit about this being to set up a new service. But I mean, as someone that's worked in services as well, I can definitely see there's benefit to reflect on our own existing services and possibly beyond um, simulation alone. Um, I, I look at this in uh, looking at the ICUs I've worked in and other other roles and teams. And I think there's a lot of really good stuff in here that's more generalizable past this conversation, hopefully. So we might go in and just get straight into the meat of it. And Ellie, are you happy to take us off with sort of an exploration on your recommendations around governance and leadership, please? Sure thing. So when we were thinking about governance and leadership, we were thinking obviously of the people that would be involved in that and who they might report to, and also the resourcing they would need to be able to get this type of service up and running, um, considering that they would know, need to know what funding model was going to support their service, who they would be able to employ, and also the expertise that was potentially going to be needed on that team. So we did um, provide a little bit of an overview of some of the types of roles that could be involved in this service. Uh, but I think having a director who has really good expertise in simulation, both education, but also how it relates to quality and safety would be essential for leading this team um, and gaining traction across a whole organisation. Uh, and 
part of the process of setting up this service would be really considering the mission, vision and values that were, would underpin the service moving forward and how they might relate to the, the principles and planning section really and how uh, that model would be set up for the organisation. And I know, Vic, you've had some experience in this in terms of, uh, you mentioned uh, your SIM service sort of moved into a new facility as well as consulting on how the move into that new facility happened. So, I imagine there's a lot of that kind of to and fro of who do I report to, where does this sit um, conversations have happened and evolved and aren't really a static thing. Absolutely. And I think... uh your comments earlier were quite relevant. Like sometimes you get to set this up de novo, sometimes there's history and you are where you are in an organisational plan or outline or reporting structure. I think, as I said before, the idea about, I'll just double click on that mission, vision, value statement, because I think, uh, you know, ideally it might be nice that you've got a reporting line up to the Director of Quality and Safety or whoever is relevant in that role, or at least some way of integrating And the reason I say that is because then ideally that then filters down to the next level, which is what are we actually about as a SIM service? What is in our scope? Um, I mean, it might be nice if you say you want to be part of the 3D printing of uh, organs to practice surgery on, but if you haven't got the resources for that, that's not going to be what your SIM service does. If like us, you're really focused on teams and enabling them to be do their own small scale quality improvement, then you, you know, you're going to say that's what we're doing. So I think it's really important at the beginning to think how do we value add to our organization, try and articulate it, and then to try and have the sort of structural elements of how you operate incorporated into it. Uh, Because I think too often we get to the end of a year of doing a whole bunch of SIM and go, oh, let's write a report and prove that we were adding value. Well, I think if you haven't, and look, I've been there, don't worry. Um, But I think if you haven't, it's much easier if you've articulated what you hope your value will be uh, at the beginning. And so I think that's why this is an underdone thing um, in my service and I think in many others uh, that maybe we were trying to uh, think people should concentrate more on. Lovely. And we might move into then thinking about we've got a little bit of the governance and formed the team and some of the strategy and vision around this and look at what are the human resources we need to attract retain and develop, I guess, is a a crude summary of where the recommendation goes. And Vic, you are going to tackle this one? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we both probably have some thoughts on that. And I I think the idea is that uh, the human resources need to be enough. Um, People have certainly, uh, there's a conversation about how many do you need for a certain number of staff in a facility. I've never seen a ratio. I think it comes back to what are you trying to achieve? And uh, I think that's important to have alignment with how many resources you've got in terms of people as well as what your aspirations are. Uh, But then I think, as I said, it's a mix of things. You're clearly going to need people with some technical know-how, people with experience in designing and delivering simulations, people with the ability to lead learning conversations. Uh, I think, hopefully, some people who are good at change management uh, as well as some quality improvement tools, strategies, reporting, patient safety type things. So I sort of advocate if you were really at the point of setting it up to see where your skill mix is and also then to think what is the professional development pathway for those people as well. So I think all of those um, elements are are going to be crucial and anyone who's ever run a SIM program knows that it's the same strategy that you need to have for an educationally focused program, um, but maybe there's a slightly different skill mix. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the 
in tr- inherent difference between a center-based model of SIM and a consultancy-based model of SIM is there's that bilayer of faculty development that is a little different. So the center-based models where we're running a, almost as a cons- an outside educational institution, we're focusing on developing our own team that's relatively has boundaries around it, which does get even messier when you start thinking about a service-based embedded model where you're looking to recruit and develop interested collaborators and in a lot of ways potentially broaden your human resources to achieve the mission, vision and strategy and values of the service as well. So Ellie, what did you have anything to add about the human resources component? Uh, I think that it is. it does provide or having this kind of service does provide really good opportunities to see how we can partner with other people. So if that service considers how they would like to partner with the emergency department or theatre or with all of them together or with the mental health unit, there's people that you can recruit on the unit who won't be named a named part of your service but are partnered with you to be able to work on the, the programs that you are trying to develop and deliver. Lovely. So, not just about FTE, <laughs> human resources. Um, well, that kind of moves us nicely into, um, like, all of these move well between each other because, as you said, they're not stepwise. But principles and planning, and I, I think my learnings from you over the years, Vic, have been as much as it's really important to really be clear about what you can do and what your uh, capabilities of uh, are. It's also really important to look at what you maybe shouldn't be doing as well. And uh, I, I'm going to just tee that off and let you go wherever you want to go on this one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, under this domain that uh, Ellie set up, one of the ones as is, is pillars of activity and really taking again that mission and scope and then turning it into, okay, what are they? So for instance, we have one pillar that is courses and workshops and it's quite educationally focused. We have another pillar that is team and system performance and that's the focus. And then the third is really the supporting activities that um, that underpin all of that and that maybe are the sort of innovation steps, whether it's equipment um, or anything else. And so to your point about uh, what do you not do, I, I think that's really important because within these pillars – as I said before, I think SIM programs should be a partly advisory role. And I know the pain of getting handed, oh, we did a critical incident review and we missed a case of STEMI, so can you go and do a bunch of SIMs on heart attacks so that people learn that STEMI is important? And my advice might be, I don't know if that will get you the outcome that you're looking for. If instead we want to think about how to design uh, simulations to help the patient journey, if we want to explore how that incident happened and why the teams didn't cross cover in different memberships, if there were other things that happened, maybe SIM is a way to do that. So I think by having pillars of activity and principles on which you operate, it allows you to actually be the value add that you know you can be rather than necessarily um, being tasked with um, can you do some sims here to fix a problem? Uh, it goes back to also your sort of safety one and safety two. You know, I don't think we should be in the business of just fixing problems, but rather promoting the organisational resilience, which is should fall most of the time. Well, at the same time, if we do identify problems, we may be part of the solution to that. Oh, I, the, the point around safety one and safety two, I think it's really exciting if we can, as organisations, start thinking about what we do well and how to amplify that. And I think a simulation consultancy service is ideally placed to be able to help 
teams see what it is that they are doing well to be able to replicate it in the future. So not only looking at what's going wrong and how do we fix it, but what's going well, how do we amplify that? Beautiful. Yeah, I believe um, Sim has been a great Trojan horse for sort of the modernization of thinking of some people who have been a little bit stuck in that linear model or engineering-based model of safety So over the years. So it's great to see this being operationalized in a uh, consultancy sort of service model. How do we move from this formation of like getting the team together, deciding what we're going to target on, to actually operationalizing and then the grand sort of target of how do we evaluate this? So we've decided what we're going to do. We've decided somewhat within our controls as to what we might not do. How do we know we're doing it? So I think this one speaks a little bit uh, to the new simulation consultancy service and the idea that people need to know about something new that's happening with their, within their organisation. And we positioned this domain for that new service. Uh, if you're working in an organisation of six, seven, eight thousand people, there are many different services that do work there and you don't always know what they're actually designed to do. So having a strategy to communicate what the service is, what its purpose is, and again, those mission, vision, values statements are super handy here, um, and being able to help people understand what pathways they have to come to the consultancy service if they have an idea uh, or if they want to work on a series of projects or a program or they want to be engaged and involved in it. So this domain really speaks to that uh, communicating the purpose of the simulation consultancy service. And as Vic said, being able to plan what it is that you're going to you know, let everyone know at the end of the year, this is what we've done. So being able to think about from that very early stage, how is it that we are going to measure what we're doing? How do we measure impact? And we know that that's super hard in simulation. We might not have the direct patient outcome uh, data that's going to show us that we had an, you know, an impact from doing one simulation three weeks ago. But there are there are there are stories that we can tell. There are there is information and data that we can collect that demonstrates that team performance is improving. I think that's great. So, like, there is, you you hit hit the point perfectly with that. I guess the, it keeps looping back to itself that if we're clear about what we're trying to do and thinking of those as projects that arise as well within the defined pillars of activity, then it does become a different feast actually evaluating because we're looking at what are the outcomes of each of those individual projects. Vic, you've done a few of those projects over the over your days. Um, what is am I on the right mark in thinking here, or? Well, you know, a bit of both. I'm sure even ten years in, there's vast tracts of Gold Coast Health that has no idea that the sim service is there or what they do. Uh, there's no doubt that the reality is, you know, we get drawn into the emergency department and the intensive care and the maternity units, the traditional users of sim. They're going to be your friends early and ongoing. You hope, and then if you if your scope you've decided is to maybe be broader, then I think that is going to be a bit of internal marketing, just as Ellie said. But the other thing that Ellie said that I really liked was, you know, recognizing that 
you're not the saviour come in to help everybody sort out their stuff uh, because there's no doubt there's been good people working on hard challenges long before you and your shiny sim service walked in the door. And I think being really attuned to that is important because the last thing those people want is you to run in with a sim and then send them a list of 800 latent safety threats that you found and then disappear again. Um not that anyone would ever do that, but you know that's that's how you could be perceived. And so I think it's really important to be sensitive to what's happening and really think about what is the niche that Sim um, fulfills in here because there's lots of things we could do, but they would not necessarily value add. And there's also things that we could do that other people are already doing quite well. Thank you very much. So I think to be that integrate is about more than finding your spot in an organizational org chart. It's um, actually about integrating with the people and, and what they're up to. That brings us to our last domain, which I I love. I'm a big fan of both giving yourself aspiration and wriggle room um, to catch the stuff that didn't quite fit as well. Um, That is look to the future. I really like this for a number of reasons, but I, I think one of the things that's become increasingly apparent to me over the years is the skills that we build up in SIM is really recognizing that we don't really know what we thought we knew a lot of the time and that stuff's coming that we can only be so prepared for. So I think the comfort and confidence with actually getting a team together safely to test some things, to develop some usage cases and fail um, quickly and then reform and reshape those ideas to present some possibly great usage cases for new technologies that are coming in rather than just have things applied to us. I've got on my podium as to what I thought that uh, might meant to me, but I know it um, means a whole range of different things that were captured in the recommendations. So Ellie, fire away. So I think for me, this domain speaks to uh, a positive evolution. So how we can start at one point, our mission, vision, value statements, we can collect a team, we can work within an organisation, but we're not going to stay like that as a consultancy service. And we would hope that we'd be able to grow and adapt and be flexible and meet the needs of the organisation and and the patients and the staff that uh, form part of that organisation. So I think Yes, absolutely. Being able to embrace new technology or new ways of working is important, but it might be also that we're adopting new ways of looking at safety or we're working in different ways to look at quality improvement and that we have enough flexibility in the way that we work and uh, understand and listen to ideas that we can adopt that into our practice where where it's sensible and, and to test whether or not that is something that does value add. And the other part of this was we know that there's really awesome work that's happening in different organisations, but there's not necessarily um, formal pathways of sharing that information with each other. And I think we've got in Australia, we've got Sim Reconnect, which is a fabulous opportunity to share some of what we're doing in different organisations. Some people do publish that their work the work that they're doing formally in academic journals. But there is also other, you know, smaller bits of um, information that doesn't get captured in those types of uh, output. And I think we do have a very generous community in simulation and we've got opportunities to share what we learn through visiting different sites or being open to discussing what's working and what is not working and how we might move forward from there. 
Yeah, I think it's really important, this idea of we're promoting within our health services a culture of ongoing improvement and trying to reflect on performance. I think we've got to hold that test up to ourselves as well. And I'm always amazed when simulation uh teams come on in and don't do a team briefing before they deliver a sim and don't do a reflection after the sim and yet we expect the clinical team to have done all that and likewise uh, at the end of a month or a year trying to find ways that we can reflect on where we're doing well and the gaps that we still have I think is an aspiration all of us should have um, you know I think we try and do that we have many imperfections and don't do it all the time but I think that's the key to be thinking hang on we set some goals for ourselves we said this was how we're going to operate. Did we do that? How did that work? And I think that's as important than trying to do a pre-post evaluation and publish it in a journal. I think a consistent reflection will mean that um, you know our performance improves. Who'd have thought? We know that is the case for clinical teams, and I'm pretty sure it's the case for simulation programs as well. One thing that might be interesting with this is to, I guess, bring it back to a personal level because we've kind of zoomed, we started at, at that personal experience and context informing this work, then we've broadened out to the recommendations. And I'm really curious, Vic, what have been your lessons learned through doing this piece of work? And I guess not in isolation of the reflections on stuff that you've done before. Yeah, well, I think one of the brilliant things Ellie has done is sort of codifying a lot of work that was previously just swirling in my head. So that has been so valuable to see those beautiful five domains and really deconstruct them and and have a framework through which to do that reflection I was talking about earlier. So I think for me, it's been coming back to the team with a bit of renewed enthusiasm for really trying to say, well, come on, what are we measuring right now? Um, and have we got that aligned? And coming up to the end of the year is a good time to be doing that kind of a thing as well. So for me, it's actually sort of added a bit to uh, structure the reflections about where we're going and what we're doing and and how we can uh, try and improve. Ellie, has there been anything that's changed your worldview or just um, been interesting? I mean, from the outside looking in, I heard you've been a been an emergency nurse working in a health service. Then you've spent come out of that health service into a university context and developed your career in research, and then to a way you're going back in and looking at a health service. So I imagine there's some stuff that's kind of happened in your brain over that period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think I'm in an exceptionally privileged position where I do have opportunities to go into health services and to work with people like Vic and and the people on her team and be able to explore from a bit of a bird's eye view what is happening and ideate about what could happen. And that's a a very exciting place to be. So I think this project has uh, given me personally a lot of insight into um, uh, the organisations and how they're wanting to adopt simulation here uh, and also a fabulous opportunity to see what is already happening and how that might be applied uh, here in South Australia and uh, in other organisations. That's a lovely spot to finish, I think. Um, I'd like to finish by applauding the work that Hugh, Ellie, Adam and Victoria have done and particularly in like living that fifth domain of looking to the future and really translating this out to share and hopefully help some others that are either at a point where their established sin service is being asked to help out a health service um, in how to kind of tackle this or to actually form one themselves. So great piece of work and really rapid translation. So 
Once again, you can find this work in the October issues of Advances in Simulation, and you can find Ellie, Adam, and Victoria all on LinkedIn, and we'll have their profiles linked in the show notes, and also can um, liaise with Ellie as the corresponding author from the Advances page if you link through there. So I'd like to thank you guys very much for your time. Um, It's been a great experience, and I've enjoyed thoroughly getting back behind the mic for Simulcast for the first time in probably over 12 months, I think. Yeah, about time, Jesse. Thank thank you. you. It's been lovely. Yes, it has. Thank you. Come and visit simulationpodcast.com.